Good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll continue working through the book of Ephesians today. Among my biggest challenges that I face in life is time management. Uh, With four kids now in the United States, we're considered a big family. And I'm starting to learn something about kids. They always want something. Have you noticed that? I mean, they're like always wanting something. And so, you know, we're always hopping and trying to manage the various needs of the family. And then, of course, I'm a pastor. And whenever you're a pastor, there's always a lot of activity going on around the church, always a lot of good things happening that you want to be a part of. And then there's ministry needs that come up where people need care and they need ministry. And then, of course, we live in this age of mobilization. And today we have social media and we have uh, technology that just makes us aware of so many things. Do you remember back when they used to claim that technology would make your life easier because it would free your time and you'd have so much more time to do other things? And the result of technology for a lot of us is it's it's almost become an anchor that just kind of traps you. The other night I got to have a daddy-daughter date with Karis, my eight-year-old, and so we went to DQ, Dairy Queen, you know, and we were getting some ice cream, and and I had forgotten my phone, and so I said, hey, Karis, I I forgot my phone. I need to go get it, and so I, I was telling her, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have that wherever we went, and she looked at me with this look on her face, and she was like, Dad, how did you communicate? I was like, we actually did it face-to-face, you know. But, and, and I know it's not just me. My parents are in their 70s, and they talk about how difficult it is just to keep up with everything and to keep up with all the responsibilities that they have. I hear young people, uh, young couples, I should say, that don't even have kids yet, and, and they talk about just how busy they are. A couple of years ago, I was at a graduation ceremony and the valedictorian was, was up talking, and the, and the valedictorian was, was discussing how busy school had been for them during their high school years. And it was one of the greatest lines I've ever heard in a valedictorian speech. He said, there's no way we can keep up this pace all of our lives. I, I don't think he meant for me to laugh as hard as I did whenever he said that, but, you know, and in his perspective, he's very, very busy. Now, like Superman flying in at the right moment, our, our passage today kind of flies in with wisdom that can help you, it can help me capture the time that we have and use our days, spend our time wisely. So look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. I dropped down last week for Valentine's Day to further down in Ephesians 5. We're going to go back up and uh, catch the passage that we skipped over last week. Verse 15, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now, there's a lot of richness in this passage here. Let's kind of break down some of the thoughts. Number one, he tells us to pay careful attention, to make sure that you are intentional and diligent about this matter. If you don't intentionally capture your time, then your time will capture you. So he says, pay careful attention to 
how you walk. If you drill down into the uh, Greek word there, it deals with what occupies you. What is occupying your time? Where are you going? What are you spending your time doing? Pay careful attention to that which occupies your time. And then the third thought in the verse, so that you walk not as an unwise person, but as a wise person. I mean, there's some richness there, right? Let's pay careful attention to how we spend our time, what occupies us, so that we will walk in wisdom and not in foolishness. Here's a question for you. In your mind, identify somebody who is wise. And now, what are they like? Those people in your life that you'd say, they're wise, what are some of their characteristics? Well, we have a picture of the screen on the screen here behind me of a man that, that I thought of whenever I thought of someone that's wise. This is Dr. James Leo Garrett, and Dr. Garrett was my theological mentor in seminary, and he's been a mentor in my life a couple of months ago back in the summer. I had the great honor of being a part of a contingency that got to go down to his retirement uh, place in Nacogdoches and present him with a Distinguished Alumnus Award. And so he's always just struck me as a man of wisdom. And so I began thinking, what were some of the characteristics that he displays in life? Well, he's well-read. There's almost always something in his hand that he's reading. I think even in this picture, back down the hall, you see books that he has that he's read or that he's written. And whenever you see him with something in his hand that he's reading, it's not Harry Potter or People magazine. It's something of depth that, that and that's not a slam on that, but, you know, it's, it's, I guess it was. But uh, it's something of depth that, that shapes the mind. And he also expected me to be well-read also. I remember in class, they called him Machine Gun Garrett because he was so tough. He had, he had two PhDs, one from the seminary, and then he went to Harvard and got a second one just for fun. But he used to do participation grades. And so he would assign us all different books to read. And then whenever he was lecturing, let's say he was lecturing on uh, the atonement of Christ, he would, he would look out at the class and he'd say, well, what did Millard Erickson write on that, Kerry Hall? And then you had to tell him what Erickson had written on that. And then he would take his pen and he would write something besides your name. And you never knew if you got it, you know, what exactly he was writing. But you knew at the end of the semester, you know, he expected you to be well read and you had a participation grade. But he also cares about people. As I was a student in his class, one day he stopped me and he invited me to lunch. I was like, you know, my professor's inviting me to lunch and... So we get to lunch at Luby's, and, uh, and uh, he talks to me. He says, I just want to talk to you about your future and where you're, where you're going from here. Whenever Stacy and I got married, showed up at my wedding. But he's also a very spiritually minded individual. You spend time around a person who is wise, and you know that they walk with God, and there's just this spiritual mindedness that they don't have to manufacture it, just flows from the fact that they walk with the Spirit. And then gratitude. I remember whenever I sat in Dr. Garrett's home a few months ago, he spent about an hour just talking about how grateful he was for his wife, for the students that he's had an opportunity to teach, for 
the seminaries and schools that he's taught at, and most of all, just how thankful he is to, he is to God. Wisdom. Verse 16 says, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now, as you think about those words, the days are evil, whenever you break down the thought, it, it has to do with the idea of the days are diseased. The days are dying. The world in which we live is frail. It is moving toward, it is stained by sin. And so ultimately, the days, the world in which we live has a terminal disease. How would you spend your time differently if you knew that your body was diseased and you only had a few months to live? One of the things about time is that it's always decreasing. We only have a limited amount of it, and so it's always kind of decreasing on us. And I want to encourage you, if you are single, enjoy your singleness. Live the days that you have. Take advantage of the freedom that you have as a single person. The Apostle Paul said you're actually free to do more for God at that stage in life. But live in wisdom during those single years. If you're a young couple who's just gotten married and you're still kind of establishing yourself within the marriage, don't rush things. Enjoy the stage that you're at. If, if Stacy and I could have one do-over in our marriage, we, we were married 10 years before we had children. We wanted to have children about a year into our marriage, and so we were a little frustrated by that. But if we could have a do-over, we would enjoy the journey more. And we would enjoy that time in our marriage where that was where God had us. If you're at that stage right now where you're raising kids, realize that the time is limited. I know it's hard. I know sometimes you just pray that bedtime might come more quickly. You know? And Lord, if you'd like to come back before bedtime, that'd be okay too. But before you know it, they're going to be raised and they're going to be gone. And whenever they go off to the military, or they go off to their career, or they walk down that aisle, what are you going to have invested in them? What are they going to leave your home with? If you're an empty nester, you have an outstanding opportunity right now to impact the world around you with legacy. So many folks spend the first half of their life seeking success, and you do so many things to try to achieve financial stability and to get to a point where you can look at your life and say, I've done something. And now as you move into the second or latter stage of your life, make sure you seek significance. How can I leave behind wisdom to the people that I love and the world in which I live? And so here's the key question. How do I capture how do I capture the time and walk in wisdom? Now you say, well, that's easy. You want to capture the time and walk in wisdom? Just quit doing dumb stuff, okay? Just quit it. All the dumb stuff you do, just stop it. Well, that sounds good, but there's only one problem. You, you have this thing called a sin nature, and that sin nature leads you to do dumb stuff. So you've got to go beyond yourself if you're really going to be a man or a woman of wisdom. You're going to need strength and wisdom from on high. 
One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in James chapter 1 and verse 5. The Bible says, now, if any of you is lacking wisdom, the context here is that you're going through difficult circumstances. You're in the midst of trials, and you're not sure exactly how to piece everything together. And so you're lacking wisdom. You're needing God's perspective. And the Bible says, if any of you is lacking wisdom, he should ask who? God. Now, I I love this next part. The Bible says that he gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. So I have to understand that the source of wisdom is God. And God invites me that whenever I am struggling to understand, whenever I am struggling to make sense of the world and see things from a wise spiritual perspective, I should ask God to grant me wisdom and that He is willing to give it to me. I love the part where it says that He will give me wisdom without criticizing Because so often whenever people come to us and they're seeking our wisdom, we have this tendency to say, you don't know that? What's wrong with you? I mean, you should already be there, shouldn't you? The Bible says, though, that when we come to God and we're seeking wisdom, He doesn't criticize us. He doesn't tear us down. Instead, as a loving Father, He gives us generously the wisdom and perspective that we so desperately seek. I, 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 don't have, I don't have to live captured by my time. The wisdom of God is made available to me, and it is possible for you and for me to live in wisdom's grip. So here's a functional question for us today. How does God give me wisdom? How do I receive this wisdom from God? Because I want to capture my time rather than be captured by time. How many of you would like to capture your time? How many of you would like to walk in wisdom? I I know that's where I want to be. Well, in Ephesians 5, we see three ways that God gives us wisdom and helps us to capture our time. The first is this, by revealing His will to us. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is is. Don't be foolish. Instead, seek understanding of what the Lord's will is. How many of you right now in your life are facing a big decision? As you take inventory of your life, do you have any big decisions to make? Okay, it could be career. It could be a parenting or grandparenting decision, something in regards to your family, a financial decision that's on the horizon. Big decisions are everywhere. When we were growing up in school, the smartest kids were the ones who made the best grades. But once you graduate and you get into life, the smartest kids are the ones who make the wisest decisions. And I'm amazed at how often Christians will make huge decisions in life big decisions without ever asking, what is God's will? What is God's will? What would God have me to do in this matter? So if you're facing a big decision today in your life, let me give you three practical questions that you can ask when seeking the will of God. The first is, 
what does the Bible say? Has God already spoken to us on this? Clearly, there's so many things that the Bible speaks to. And so as we're seeking uh, wisdom and we're seeking direction in the will of God, what does the Bible say on this? Has God clearly written down His will for us? Number two, what is the wise thing to do? Not necessarily what can I do, but what is the wise thing to do? And as you're seeking the answer to that question, spend time in prayer. You have a big decision coming up? Pray about it. Ask God to give you wisdom. And the Bible says that He gives wisdom to us generously without criticizing. So ask God for His wisdom in prayer. You need some people in your life that can give you godly advice. Now make sure you understand that word godly advice. You have plenty of people in your life that will give you advice. But do you have people in your life that will give you godly advice? And so when you're facing a big decision, you can go to them and say, here's what I'm dealing with. I've been praying about this, seeking God's will. Can you help me think through this and give me some godly advice here? And then a third thing you can ask, where is God at work? It's the Henry Blackaby question that he uh, forged in experiencing God. Find out where God is working and go there. <laughs> you know, and it's a novel idea. So often what we want to do is we want to do something and ask God to join us. Blackaby said, look, look where God is at work. Look where God is speaking, where God is active. And then go there and be a part of it. Because whenever you see God working, if you join in, you're in the middle of the will of God whenever you're being a part of what God is doing. And so if you'll ask those simple questions before the big decisions that you face in life, I think you will be amazed at how focused the will of God for your life can be. But now there's a second thing, and that is that God also helps us to capture our time through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. Now, I must touch on the first part here. The Scriptures say, do not get drunk with wine. And as a Christian person, you have no business getting drunk, being intoxicated. That's not something that should be in the Christian's life. You say, well, Lash, it says don't get drunk with wine. So does that mean beer's okay? No. The principle here is you're not supposed to get drunk with wine, with beer, with liquor, with NyQuil, okay? Don't get drunk with wine. Now, why? Because we should, we should avoid drunkenness because it sends you in the opposite direction of wisdom. It leads you to reckless actions. Just look at the people in the news that find themselves abusing alcohol and the foolish decisions, the reckless actions, oftentimes throwing their entire lives down the drain because of drunkenness. Destinations in life are the results of decision points. And you ultimately are where you are because of decisions that you've made along the way. And little by little, one decision at a time, your life begins to crawl towards a destination. And if you want wisdom in your life, 
It's not going to be found in foolish, selfish, lazy, prideful, envious decisions. Those are the decisions of drunkenness. If you let your decision-making be fueled by foolishness, selfishness, laziness, pride, envious ideas, it's going to lead you away from wisdom. But if you want wisdom in your life, it's going to be found by surrendering your life to the one who laid down his life for you. Wisdom will be found whenever you draw near to God Whenever you draw near to God, this amazing thing happens. God's Spirit draws near to you, and a person that is filled with the Spirit of God is a person that is filled with wisdom. When the Holy Spirit takes a hold of you and grabs a hold of your thought process and your will, you can't help but walk in wisdom when you're walking in the Spirit. Thirdly, We find wisdom by being a part of the church. Verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians chapter 5 are Paul Reed's favorite verses in all of Scripture. The Bible says, Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Well, you ever wondered why we sing in church? Well, the Bible tells us to do so here, okay? There's a, there's a biblical source here for the reason why we sing. I was going to give Paul a hard time because last night at the wild game dinner, whenever 190 men made professions of faith in Jesus Christ, we didn't sing one song through that whole service. And so I was going to tell him, hey, look, you know, you can have a lot of people get saved if you just quit singing. But then I came across this passage. And there he is. Here he comes. There he goes. So I was looking at this passage, and and it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And there was, no, I'm kidding. That's not what the passage says. But you had great timing whenever you walked in. The passage says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. You see, music is the language of the soul. God gives it to us as a gift, and it's a way for us to express our feelings to God. You say, I don't have any feelings. Well, you need to get some, okay? You do have feelings. They're just kind of buried down within you. But music is one of those things that drills through your feelings and allows you to express yourself to God. The Scriptures teach us that as a church, we are to come together, we are to sing songs to Him, we are to praise Him from, the, from our heart. Whenever we gather for the music portion of our worship, it's not a spectator sport. You're supposed to be a participant. And so right now, if you're one of the individuals whenever we sing that stands there like this, you need to sing. Okay? Sing. At the very least, it'll make the time go by faster, okay? And then we can get to the good stuff, the preaching. I, you know, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, all right, all right? Now, notice verse 21 also says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. I would, just as an aside here, 
uh, make reference to the fact this is the concluding thought of the previous verses, not the introductory thought to the next verses. Some people have tried to make it so, but it's not textual there. Within the church, we are to submit to one another in fear of Christ. Now, remember, this is a military term where everybody knows his or her role, and we are acknowledging the authority of the one, God, who is in control. And whenever we acknowledge his authority and we know our role, then we're able to work together and we're able to have harmony and direction because we're submitting to one another out of fear of Christ and fear of Christ and reverence of Christ. It was a Saturday morning in early May 1994. James Baker that morning planned to help his friend Jim Griffin. And while he went out to help his friend, his wife and his 18-year-old daughter went shopping for a graduation dress. James never really had much. He grew up rather poor. He was a young man. He joined the Air Force. After he got out of the Air Force, they were raising a family, and he worked hard as a traveling salesman. He was often gone through most of the week, but he'd come home and try to invest all the time that he could in his family. His family had just enough to get by. One thing that he had was he had a faith in God. As a grown man, an adult with children, he came to that point of believing in Christ as Lord and Savior, and he was actually baptized in front of his children, and his wife was baptized as well. And after that decision point in his life, he sought with all of his heart to walk in wisdom. And so he taught his daughters to listen to God and to follow Him. That Saturday afternoon, James suffered a major heart attack, and he died at the age of 47. Two weeks later, his daughter Stacy would graduate high school. Then she'd meet this guy, and about eight months later, her and this guy named Lash would go out on their first date. That worked pretty well, so they had a second date and a third date. Before you know it, they fell in love, they got married, and they had kids. A lot of them, yeah. I never met James Baker, but every day of my life I'm thankful for him uh, because he, he walked in wisdom. He didn't have a long life, but during his life he captured his time, and he loved his family. And so whenever I watch my wife love my children and teach them to love God, I see the power of what can happen when our time is captured by wisdom. And I see the power of what can happen when a dad or a mom or a grandmom or a granddad walks in wisdom, captures the time, and then extends that to future generations. Generations are raised, and they've been taught to listen to the voice of God, walk in wisdom, 
and capture the time. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come and lead us in worship. As our heads are bowed, I ask you this question. Are you capturing the time or is the time capturing you? Are you walking in wisdom right now? Or are you occupying your life with just random stuff that really has no meaning, no direction, that really doesn't make any difference at all? God has blessed you with the great gift of living. Live it for His glory. And use the years that you have, whether you have many years or just a few left, use these years to advance the kingdom of God, to impact the people that you love, to impact the world around you in ways that honor God, in ways that speak and teach wisdom. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these men and women that have gathered here 8.30 on a Sunday morning to worship you, to pray to you, to give generously to you, and to open your word and study truth from you. And I pray, Lord, that what we have seen on the pages of Scripture today might change us from the inside out. Lord, help us to be people that walk in wisdom. Help us, Father, to love you with all of our heart. Lord, may you bless our families. May you bless our church. And I pray, Lord, that the people that know us may see you and ultimately know you as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.